section thirty six of the Cambridge Modern History, volume two, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter ten The Helvetic Reformation by the Reverend J. P. Whitney. Part four. Diplomacy took up much of Zwingli's time, but his pen was as active as ever. He wrote commentaries upon Isaiah and Jeremiah, a number of important letters and controversial tracts. His power at Zurich and the spirit of the city were at their height. In a complaint to Luzern about Thomas Murner, whose heretic's calendar seemed dangerous and offensive to an age oversensitive to ridicule, the council said, February 14, 1529, that they were free and subject to no emperor or lord. They, like France, Venice, and other states, ordered spiritual persons and properties as they thought well. Zwingli's enemies, too, were under his feet. After December 7, 1528, only the barest civic rights without the chance of office were left to non-reformers. Attendance at mass, even outside the city, was punished by fine. To eat fish instead of flesh on Friday was an offence. But a reaction might at any time set in. It was indeed the fear of such a reaction that led Zwingli to make his reformation as thorough as possible. In this period it becomes impossible to separate Swiss politics from German. The restoration of Duke Ulrich of Württemberg, which Zurich was more disposed than bound to help, was an unfailing subject of negotiation. With this Saul, who, could he but be restored, seemed likely to be a pall to the Reformation, Zwingli had a connection of long standing, and through him he became friendly with that able politician, the Landgrave Philip of Hesse. Zwingli's Hessian correspondence in cipher begins with the Second Diet of Speyer, when the Landgrave, April 22, 1529, first wrote about the Marburg Conference, and it ends eleven days before Zwingli's death. The two correspondents formed vast schemes for the Landgrave, like Zwingli himself, was no rigid conservative. As early as 1524, Zwingli had formed a plan for an extensive league, but the Anabaptist troubles led him to lay it aside. Now, under the Landgrave's influence, he returned to it. After the conference, the proposal of a Christian agreement came from Hesse. It aimed at securing mutual protection and converts to the word of God. The Schmalkaldic League, April 1531, owed something to this conception, but the idea of a league uniting Swiss and German Protestants failed through resistance from the elector of Saxony, faithful to the empire and firm in his Lutheran creed. The reward Zwingli gained for deserting his old principle of keeping aloof from foreign complications was small. His widest plans miscarried. No greater success rewarded Busser in his attempts at mediation between the Lutheran and Zwinglian camps. The creed of Strasbourg, Constance, Memmingen, and Lindau, drawn up by Busser and Capito, presented to the Emperor July 11, 1530, and known as the Tetrapolitana, was considered and rejected by Basel and Zurich at the Evangelic Diet of Basel, November 16, 1530. It affirmed that the true body and blood of Christ were given, truly, to eat and drink for the nourishment of souls. Positively, it made as close an approach to the Lutheran view as was possible, while by omission of any statement as to the elements, it avoided contradicting that view. In other articles, the authority of the scriptures, not mentioned in the Augsburg Confession, and the rejection of images are set forth. 
zwingli's own confession was embodied in the fidei ratio ad carolum imperiatorem presented to the emperor july three fifteen thirty the earlier sections expounded the nicene faith the sixth section emphasized wycliffe's theory of the invisible church composed of elect believers the sixth and eighth asserted the sacraments to be merely signs and affirmed zwingli's teaching in terms likely to anger catholics and lutherans alike later sections depreciated ceremonies denounced images as unscriptural magnified the office of preacher and discussed the relations of church and state at length the anabaptists were often incidentally condemned and the assertion of his own views was clear and unflinching no wish to conciliate others no fear of a breach with the past is apparent even when strasbourg december fifteen thirty joined the schmalkaldic league zwingli's desire for political union did not overcome his conscientious adherence to his own views he was thus the obstacle in the negotiations at this stage march to july fifteen thirty one when the elector of saxony had yielded so far as to admit the adherence of the tetrapolitana to the schmalkaldic league while he was willing to leave something vague he could not accept definitions which he held to be untrue moreover the lutherans desired a general council while zwingli had completely broken with tradition and his organization left no room for councils apart from doctrine zwinglianism on its political side was now fifteen thirty to fifteen thirty one a greater danger to the empire than was lutheranism ferdinand wrote to the emperor after the battle of kappel that switzerland was the head of german protestantism and to conquer it was the true way of mastering germany and re-establishing religious peace the papal legate at brussels wrote to clement the seventh may fifteen thirty one zurich but her power was declining it was only a small gain that ulm july fifteen thirty one moved by the definite refusal of electoral saxony to alter its position became more zwinglian or that bern whose support was essential to zurich rejected the tetrapolitana in zurich itself zwingli's influence was lessening the unrestrained power of the privy council had grown distasteful the disaffected nobility was regaining power on the question of an embassy to france february fifteen thirty one the opposition showed itself stronger than his followers the trade of the city had been injured by political unrest strict sumptuary laws and moral control led to discontent among the artisans and tradesmen who regretted the monasteries the sermons lost some of their old attraction so keenly did zwingli feel this change that he formally asked leave to resign his preachership and go to work elsewhere july twenty sixth but he was too closely bound up with the town and at the prayer of a deputation made up of two burgomasters and three chief guildmasters he kept his office and for the last months of his life he retained though precariously something of his former influence inside the confederation war was again drawing nearer the catholic cantons had still their own grievances and were embittered by defeat they still although against hope looked to austria for help Zingli, angry at the insults to which he was subjected was decidedly for war the knot can only be loosed by firmness in this state of affairs the war of musso kindled the flame the castellan of musso di medigino since fifteen twenty five a troublesome neighbour of the graubünden had 
March 1531, murdered a Graubünden envoy returning from Milan and invaded the Valentine. The League appealed to the Swiss, and especially to Zurich. Zwingli believed that the Emperor stood behind the Castellan, and that movements of troops in Austria foreshadowed an attack upon Zurich, an event which German politics made not unlikely. The Emperor did not indeed himself support the Castellan, but he was inclined to approve the war since it kept the dangerous Swiss employed, and he was not unwilling that Musso should be helped without expense to himself, lest, if left without help, the Castellan should turn to France. The Swiss Diet was divided by the Graubünden request. The five cantons refused help, the Protestants promised it. Zwingli, again, in the Privy Council and in closest touch with the French ambassador, Maigret, seized the opportunity to revive his far-reaching plan of alliance. Political means were used for religious objects. An assembly of the Zwinglian allies, May 15, at Zurich, determined that the five cantons must be forced to allow free way to preaching. An embargo upon trade by land, to check the passage of wine, wheat, salt, and iron, was to be set up against the five cantons. It was an unhappy method of compulsion, although it had a precedent in 1438, and had been contemplated in the first piece of cupboard. The chief responsibility belongs to Bern, who suggested it as an alternative to the war proposed by Zurich. Things drifted nearer to war in spite of representations from France and from other cantons. Scarcity of food distressed and angered the Catholics. Zurich would only remove the embargo if free preaching were allowed. The forest cantons this time made the first move, and from Zuck marched towards Zurich, October 4-9. to 9. When news of this reached Zurich, a small band, which in the end reached 1200 under George Goldie, set out, October 9. A larger band of 1500 men, fairly well equipped, started two days later, and Zwingli accompanied them. But there was a lack of enthusiasm and even of preparation. In Bern, the people blamed Zwingli for this Parsons' War. The action of Bern indeed was ambiguous, partly owing to trouble near a home and partly from aversion to the war. Her contingent was not ready until the crisis had passed, but there is no need to look for open treachery when a house is divided against itself. The advance guard under Godley, which was only to keep on the defensive, began the battle at Kappel on October 11. They neglected to charge the enemy when changing their attack, and their position was turned. When the main body under Rudolf Lavater reached the Albis, the position fixed by the council, the day was practically lost. Its attack upon the 8,000 forest men failed. Zwingli was among the slain, and his body was treated disgracefully as that of a traitor. His stepson, Gerold Meyer, Diebold von Gerold Zock, Abbot Jona of Kappel, and others of his friends perished with him. The remaining Zurich troops and allies came up, October 24, with the Catholic troops on the Gubel near Zuck, and were defeated in an engagement more serious than the first. Zurich lay open to its enemies. The emperor might now have intervened with effect. But through the mediation of the French ambassadors and the other cantons, peace was made, November 23. The conditions of the first peace of Kappel were now reversed. It was to the credit of the victors that they did not press their success too far. Even now Zurich was not disposed for peace, but the country villages, which had lost by the embargo, here, as at Bern, were strongly for it. By the second peace of Kappel, the territory of Zurich was kept intact. In the common lands, existing beliefs were left alone, but Catholic minorities, where there were such, received protection. 
government by the majority of the cantons was affirmed. The management of its own religious matters was left to each canton. Zwingli's scheme to force the Catholic cantons to give free play to the Reformation in the common lands and in their own territory had failed. But the principle of federal control over religion was not asserted. The Christian Civic Alliance and the Treaty of 1529 were annulled. Basel, Schaffhausen, St. Gallen, and Mühlhausen paid indemnities of 1,000 to 4,000 crowns. Zurich and the town of St. Gallen were to compensate and restore the Abbey of St. Gallen. The reformed communities in the Free Ballywicks, Torgau, and Toggenburg, where the abbot regained his power, were allowed to keep their faith. Catholic but not reformed minorities were protected. Monks and nuns might return to their houses. Zolotorn restored its old worship to escape the payment of an indemnity. Bern, which had to forego the compensation from Unterweiden, and Zurich were left discontented and almost bankrupt. Zurich was forced, December 1531, to grant the Kappel Charter, by which its rural districts gained a right to be consulted upon all important questions, and to give or refuse their consent for any future war. Such was the outcome of Zwingli's ambitious scheme, whereby Bern and Zurich were to be the pillars of a great Protestant power in Switzerland, extending its influence far afield. The peace perpetuated division among the reformers, and separated Switzerland from Germany. Glarus became Catholic once more, Bern grew more Lutheran. In the common lands, the Argau suffered more reaction, the Thurgau least. Zurich is henceforth externally of less importance. The future of Swiss Protestantism lay with Bern and Geneva, the latter not yet a confederate, but in league with Bern and Freiburg, February 1528. And furthermore, the Counter-Reformation, or the Catholic Reaction, neither name aptly describes the movement or its origin, found a ready home in Switzerland. Catholicism began to gain ground here soon after the Second Treaty of Kappel, without having to wait for any of the stimulating movements felt elsewhere. The scheme of Catholic reform proposed in 1524 to 1525, and the disasters of Zwinglianism were effective local causes. Outside powers were unwilling to let the war die out. Philip of Hesse, always ready and hopeful, tried to rouse it to new life. Basel was arming, but the South German towns urged peace. The Pope called upon the Emperor to make an end, and put down the heresy at once, and even sent to the five cantons, Aliquantum Pecuniae. Ferdinand would have done the same, but was overruled by his advisers. The Austrian statesmen hoped to use the war for the Emperor's good, but to do so without expense and the emperor feared by any decisive step to rouse the French to war. The French, on their part, gained greatly by the peace. Thus the settlement remained undisputed, and the South German towns drew nearer to the princes, now that Zurich could give them no help. In Zurich itself, the religious movement continued. Bullinger, Zwingli's son-in-law and successor, banished from Bremgarten by the peace, carried on his work, but it was now solely theological and internal. The Privy Council was discredited, as Bullinger explained to Myconius. Its existence meant foreign entanglements, and Zurich, weakened by the new power given to the country districts, became less and less able to pursue an adventurous foreign policy among the great states of Europe. But the strife of doctrine remained behind, always significant for the history of thought, at times for politics as well. Bus's task of mediation grew harder and its end more remote. 
conferences with Melanchthon had no result, because it was impossible to devise a formula such as would satisfy Luther and still recognize the conflicting doctrines adapted to minds of different types. At Wittenberg, May 22-27, to 27, 1536, a well-attended conference produced a conciliatory document, the Wittenberg Concord. According to it, the body and blood of Christ were truly and substantially present in the Eucharist, shown and received. Busser, by a distinction not widely accepted, contended that the impious did not, while the merely unworthy did, receive them. To this view, Strasbourg, Augsburg, Ulm, Constance, and other cities agreed but luther hesitated to sign the concord because he heard that the swiss had agreed to it and feared it must therefore be bad on the other hand in the previous january the swiss theologians had met at basel and there drawn up the first helvetic confession it was conciliatory in tone and went beyond the purely symbolic view the nuda signa of zwingli but its framers were not at wittenberg and Busser, the medium of intercourse did not adequately represent one side to the other another conference of the swiss reformers at basel drafted a new document showing a wish for unity and at the same time making it clear why the wittenberg concord could not possibly be accepted luther's reply fifteen thirty seven was guarded and distrustful so that its circulation in switzerland did not help the cause which Busser and melanchthon had at heart a conference at zurich april twenty eighth fifteen thirty eight showed the politicians as eager for unity as the theologians for distinction finally zurich september twenty eighth fifteen thirty eight resolved to keep her old view with no modifications if doctrine was to be the basis of unity the adjustment of the limits of difference required nice discussion luther's violence of language and zwingli's mingling of politics and theology had complicated that discussion henceforth old positions eagerly guarded and attacked associations and repugnances valued above their real importance were further obstacles to union but it was hard to give any strong religious reasons why unity as distinct from charity should be sought political reasons there were in plenty but their admission made the discussions theologically lifeless calvin may have learned much of organization from zurich but in theological importance he overshadows not only zwingli but all other swiss reformers as to the eucharist while zwinglian in his exegesis he was more spiritual in his conceptions emphasizing the grace conferred while not connecting it with the elements a change which has also been detected in bullinger and later zwinglians but they agreed in rejecting luther's doctrine like Busser, Calvin worked for unity, and unlike Zwingli, did not spread his political energies over too large a field. He was thus able to concentrate and deepen influences set in motion by Zwingli. But even Calvin's labors for unity had a political end. If to observers from the outside German and French Protestants could appear united, the French king, ally of the one, could not well persecute the other. Calvin and Bullinger, drew up 1549 the consensus tigorinus strongly anti-lutheran in tone perversa et impia superstitio et ipsum christum sub elementis in cultere up to this time there had been a division among the swiss leaders bullinger had given up all hope of unity with the lutherans at bern with its lutheran inclinations that hope was still alive but with the consensus protestant switzerland was united 
Basel, with traditions of synods of its own, bound with a distrust of all synods as leading to strife, did not welcome it greatly, but yet adopted it, 1551. So did Schaffhausen, St. Gallen, Biel, and Mühlhausen. Thus, in the end, dogmatic and political unity, which had so often helped or thwarted each other, claimed a common territory in reformed Switzerland. And the reaction following upon Zwingli's strict control brought a growth of toleration. In Germany, meanwhile, the teaching of Zwingli became nominally less important than that of Calvin, and the division between Reformed and Lutheran, so fatal to German Protestantism, belongs in its later stages more to the history of Calvinism than of Zwinglianism. But Zwingli, in his treatment of the Eucharist, had raised a fundamental issue, and his views on this head, like his treatment of public worship, have had a wider influence than their recognition in confessions and liturgies would indicate. Thus Zwinglianism became the name of a school of thought rather than of a religious body. Zwingli's plans would have given the Confederation unity and cohesion at the expense of his opponents, but the Reformation postponed the solution of the unsolved problem of Swiss unity, and the Counter-Reformation made the difficulties greater. Cardinal Carlo Borromeo, Archbishop of Milan took a deep interest in Switzerland. He founded a Swiss college at Milan, introduced into the land the Jesuits, 1574-1581, and the Capuchins, 1581-1588, and procured a permanent nunciature at Luzern. After his death, Luzern under Ludwig Pfeiffer formed a league with Uri, Schwitz, Unterweiden, Zug, Solothurn, and Freiburg to maintain offensively and defensively the Catholic faith. 1586. This was known as the Boromian League. Thus the division into two camps was crystallized and the old federal constitution was almost dissolved. Diets, save those of the opposed cantons held separately, became rare. The disputes about the common lands went on and with foreign influences intensified the differences due to faith. In the Thirty Years' War the Protestants expressly and the Catholics tacitly adopted neutrality, but could not hold entirely aloof the country's importance to its neighbours lay in its provision of soldiers for hire and for this reason they endured its independence the neutrality adopted was not that advocated yet departed from by zwingli it resulted from the religious divisions due to him combined with the foreign service he condemned the reformation in switzerland shows how largely the forms in which religious ideas express themselves are moulded by political forces it was also more than elsewhere the centre of the national history it was zwingli who by his religious influence and his political mistakes was the cause of this politically his dearest schemes miscarried ecclesiastically his type of organization and worship endured doctrinally he was overshadowed by others but the permanent division of the cantons was due to him not merely to the doctrines he taught but on the one hand to the power with which he impressed them upon zurich and on the other to the energy and violence with which regardless of federal liberties he strove to force them upon the other cantons End of section thirty six